The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. It's Friday, friends. Time for the week's final episode of the Next Big Idea Daily. Once again, I'm chatting with Gloria Mark, a psychologist who teaches in the Department of Informatics at the University of California, Irvine. Gloria has also been a visiting senior researcher at Microsoft since 2012. In her work, she's documented the way our attention spans have measurably shortened over the last 15 years, battered and beaten by cell phone notifications, social media rabbit holes, and the infinite variety of information and entertainment we've put into everyone's hands. Of course we're distracted. But the news isn't all bad. Because as Gloria has laid out this week, there are ways we can win our attention back. There are steps we can take in our personal and work lives, and there are steps we can take collectively. We just have to make a shift in our values so that health and well-being are seen as at least as important as getting things done. The narrative of pushing ourselves to our limits has been in our American culture for a long time. For example, B.F. Skinner, the noted behaviorist psychologist, set his alarm clock to wake himself four times during the night so he could work. Our digital devices were invented to extend our human capabilities. We think we're doing more, but we're paying a price. My own research and other studies as well have shown how our use of tech and especially the pressures associated with it are linked to stress. We all want to be productive and accomplish great things, but we shouldn't do this at the expense of increasing stress to levels that affect our health. Let's step back and rethink where we're heading. Remember, our digital age is still young. It's younger than the fall of the Berlin Wall. Technological innovations happen at rapid fire speed, yet we're still learning how to cope with the technology. The human mind remains a bottleneck for handling all that information. So rather than continuing to push ourselves to our limits, let's instead give ourselves permission to pull back. Let's reframe how we use tech and set a goal in using it to maintain our well-being. We will be productive along the way. We are not doomed to have short attention spans. I am very optimistic that we can change our relationship with technology and we can make a cultural shift. After all, we've created the tech and we also have the power to shape the way we use it. Let's talk about health and stress for a moment. I know in your book, you talk about how the importance of this came to your attention after a health scare that you had in 2009. Are you comfortable telling us about that? Sure. So, um, you know, I thought I, w- I was the healthiest person I knew. I exercised every day. I ate very healthy. And then I was given a diagnosis of stage three colon cancer. And I couldn't have been more shocked by it. You know, you feel you're healthy. And then the the next moment you're told you're, you're given a, a um, it eventually was a 69% five-year survival rate. And I thought, boy, this this couldn't be. But it also um, 
really was a wake-up call for me because I was really pushing myself to my limits. And I was working to the point of exhaustion. I was very stressed. Um, I did have this drive that I always needed to do more. And so this experience caused me to, to pause and pull back and think about what's really important in life. And so it also made me rethink my schedule and, you know, how I was approaching work and to be a, a lot more relaxed about work. And, you know, I don't have to pack everything in to try to accomplish as much as I can, but actually by doing less, by giving myself more time for contemplation, I could actually do more. And I have to say that since I've adopted this, this new philosophy, I've, I've probably never been more productive in my life. So instead of just, you know, having the wheels racing around and around, you know, spending time to think more carefully about what I was doing and to try to keep myself more replenished, I've, I've actually been able to accomplish, in, in my view, more. And the health stuff is real. I mean, stress is considered an epidemic uh, by the World Health Organization and many practitioners. And there's no doubt that the way we use technology is contributing to the stress in our lives. At the same time, having a health scare like that also, I think, probably reminds you of the limited time you have, the limited resources that you have and how what you pay attention to is so valuable and to be scattering that you know every which way is really not a good way to live especially when you're aware that you've got a 69% survival rate over the next 5 years absolutely and and it also makes you think very differently about the value of what you do when you're using your devices you finish your book by talking a little bit about the future of attention. Obviously, you provide a lot of tools for us to use to exercise our own attentional muscles and get better at focusing. But there's only so much any individual can do. And you also, towards the end of the book, start to kind of discuss some of the more, some of the broader approaches we might take to address this problem we're having culturally right now which we can address, right? We, we don't, we're not doomed to have a short attention span forever. There are some possible solutions at the level of companies, you know, a policy around after-hour emails, a policy around how much you will get pinged by your workplace. Can you say anything about those kinds of policies and how helpful you think they might be in this problem? I, I think they, they can be helpful. You know, there's a lot of discussion that individuals should do a digital detox and pull themselves away from tech. Um, you know, this can work in the short term, but it's not a permanent solution. And if any individual completely pulls out, they cut themselves off from work uh, communications, communications with loved ones. And so what we need is to think of collective solutions. And so to this end, some organizations have, have done some promising things. Some organizations, for example, have instituted a quiet time during the day, so no electronic communications can be sent. 
But there's, you know, on a broader level, I think that right to disconnect laws are very promising. Yeah, tell me about those. I, I'd never really heard of that until I read it in your book. The right to disconnect law means that workers are not penalized for not answering electronic communications after work hours. So France has the El Combre labor law. Ireland has what's called the code of practice. The Canadian province of Ontario has the Working for Workers Act of 2021. Now, what's really interesting is that New York City tried to enact a right to disconnect law. Hmm. And they had a public hearing during a city council meeting, and I read the transcripts, and I, I found it really interesting. There, there was only one organization that argued in favor of a right to disconnect law for New York City. All the other organizations, like banks, uh, argued against it. The New York City Bureau of Tourism uh, said, there's a reason why New York is the number one tourist attraction in the world is because the city never sleeps. And so as a result, this resolution did not get passed. There is no right to disconnect law in New York City. There's been a lot of attention on artificial intelligence lately. I wonder if you think that technology will be a friend or a foe in this battle. I think that AI can be developed to, to serve as coaches. And here's what I mean by that. I've done some work with colleagues at Microsoft Research where we developed a personal digital assistant that um, gave people suggestions on when they should take breaks. Uh, if they were spending too much time on, say, social media, it would nudge them to come back to work. But the point is that people became much more self-aware mm. of you know, what their level of mental resources were. You know, are they starting to get tired? Do they need a break? And so it was a way to help people develop their own self-efficacy skills. So I do think that AI has a role there, uh, not doing the work for us, but teaching us how we can become more aware and teaching us how we can do the work to gain control. Oh, yeah. I would love an AI assistant that kind of knew when I was at my peak productivity and gave me more work to do at that time. And then when I needed a break, it sort of nudged me to take a break or forced me to take a break. And yes, I want that. Um, hopefully that will be coming soon. So I guess I'll just end with this question, Gloria. Are you fundamentally optimistic or pessimistic about the future of attention? I am an optimist. And I, I know there's a lot of um, doomsayers out there, but I am most definitely an optimist. You know, humans created the internet, and it was originally created with a vision. And it was a vision to share information so that everyone could, you know, have access to information. It was a very democratic, very positive vision. And of course, the internet changed. It's become, you know, a lot more commercial. There's, you know, a lot of uh, very negative behaviors that we're seeing online. But I'm very optimistic that we can change. You know, we we have created the internet. We can shape it in the vision we want. 
I do think that most people are good, and I think this will be reflected in a course correction of the internet. I I don't think we're going to continue down this path. And why do I say that? It's because the internet is still new. The internet didn't come into widespread popularity until the mid-1990s. And we're still figuring this out, right? It's younger than the fall of the Berlin Wall, right? So we're still in the Wild West of the digital age, and we're still trying to make sense of it. We're still trying to figure out how to integrate it best into our lives. And so there's all kinds of new tech that's going to be invented on the horizon that can help us. You know, and it it sounds ironic that we're going to look to tech for solutions to solve tech problems. But I do think that uh, we will be seeing that. So um, I think that, you know, we, we need to reframe how we're using technology so that we're using it for our benefit to truly extend our capabilities in the best possible way without getting ourselves exhausted. I hope you're right. And uh, thank you for joining us on the next Big Idea Daily. It was really good having you. It was really good hearing all these ideas. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everyone. Thank you for your attention this week. We hope you picked up some tips that will make focusing on what matters to you easier. Remember, you can hear all our episodes about attention span in your podcast feed or by downloading our Next Big Idea app. There, you'll also find a lot of great advice on productivity and psychology, as well as leadership, creativity, and tons of other topics. Be sure to check us out on LinkedIn, subscribe to our newsletter, and come back next week when I'll be talking to Abby Davison and Myra Strober about their book, Money and Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. Because when it comes down to it, pretty much all our big life decisions are about money or love or both. If, like me, you could use help in either of those areas, join me. I'm Michael Kavnat. I wrote and produced this week's episodes. Kayla Bissinger and Rufus Griscom are the executive producers. Sound designed by Jason Freeman. The Next Big Idea Daily is a proud member of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you soon.